What's that? 133? Oh, yeah. I'm smart, smarter than I look. <laughs> okay. Can I, Chad, could you help me with this real quick? So everybody needs, everybody needs one of these. Put a stack down there for you, Pat. back there. Josh needs one. Megan might need one. Oh, so just by, by way of uh, vision tonight, um, I dove right in. Let's, let's pray, shall we? Uh, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us for all these years. Thank you uh, that you're alive right now and that you intend good for us and your church. And we pray, God, that you would uh, show us our little piece of that tonight, how you're leading and guiding us, and that you would help us become more like Jesus and um, more the kind of missionary disciples in the world that uh, we believe you seek to deploy. Uh, so help us, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So this is just, just um, what Josh and I are going to do tonight, really dovetail together. And um, the crew here is, this is probably not a new shape to you. That pen is kind of dying, so I'm going to do this. <clears throat> uh, the, the triangle, the up, in, and out triangle. Most of us, I think, have probably seen this. If you haven't, don't, don't worry about it, please. This is just one of the shapes that's kind of emerging out of this reproducing, discipling language that we're hoping to kind of embrace more fully as a church. And this, this shape refers to... Um, the way Jesus balanced relationships. So he, he, uh, he literally got up in the morning <laughs> to focus on his upward relationship with God. And then he also uh, chose a few in whom he invested deeply, an in kind of balance in relationship. And he was always mindful to the crowds uh, that were like sheep without a shepherd, he said, right? So he was always investing in these three areas um, of life. And... Uh, there's, there's much more to say about this shape and how you kind of tease it out, but one of the things uh, you can do with this is kind of place yourself in this triangle because both uh, all, uh, all of us as followers of Jesus and, and churches, corporate bodies of believers, tend to have one weak link in this. You know, like you can, if you have really good worship and really good community, kind of are an up-in church, or you, you can tease it out like that, right? For, for most of the churches uh, with which I'm aware in our tradition, our struggle is right here. And it's, ju it's just, what, what do we do with that? How do we? And so we, we, think, um, we think evangelism, we think kind of training to share your faith, we think, um, you know, functioning um, in, in the kind of the co-worker status with God in the world in, in the more holistic way that that means, you know, uh, embracing stewardship of of everything, money, earth, all the resources that God entrusts to us. But when it gets down to, to the, the business of actually making disciples, actually exerting spiritual influence in the lives of other people, 
what does that look like and what are our models? And it's my contention that probably in, 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 inadvertently the church has set up this system that has uh, many of us, me included, feeling kind of living with this low-level sense of guilt. Like I should be doing more to reach people with the gospel, but I'm not really doing that because I don't want to be one of those people who's really kind of offensive and forceful in that, you know, those kind of models of evangelism. And then, and then so our answer to that is, well, let's think relational evangelism and, let, and let's, you know, focus on building relationships first. Remember, um, some of you might remember Mark Middleberg's book, uh, Contagious uh, Christianity, or Bec- Becoming a Contagious Christian. That was the book. It's a very fine book, actually. Um, but the, the premise upon which it's built, barbecue first, like build friendships first, uh, but that's about as far as the nuancing goes on relational evangelism. It's barbecue first and then go after somebody. Pretty much. That's kind of the deal. So what's before you, I believe, gives us an entirely new way to approach what, how it is that Jesus might be calling us to be involved in the lives of other people. And specifically, uh, I think Jesus gives us uh, kind of an interpretive lens here or a way to listen to him as to where the Lord might be asking us to invest more directly in the lives of other people. It's called the person of peace strategy. Who has heard of this before? Okay, several of us have. So I know we've, we've done tidbits here and there on this, but I, I, I want to do this like quick deep dive because this is the scripture that it's from, and I want to just explain this and how it can be really helpful for us. So I'm just, I'm just going to read this out loud. This is Jesus. In Luke 9, Jesus sends out the 12 at the beginning of Luke 9, and then here at Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72. So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so, it's all right here in the text, and we can spend time unpacking it, but I'll, I'll give you the, the executive summary here. A person of peace is a person who welcomes you, who listens to you, and who seeks to serve you in some way. And if you combine this with the, the passage at the beginning of chapter 9 where Jesus sent out the 12, there are kind of parallel patterns here. So a person of peace is a person who welcomes you. That doesn't mean welcomes you to literally stay in their home. You know, we can interpret it more broadly than that. Uh, we, we've all connected with people who kind of 
exude a welcoming presence to us and kind of want to be in relationship. And, uh, and then the next criteria is a person who listens to you as you begin, uh, well, this isn't our responsibility, it's the next section down, but as, as you begin to kind of make yourself known as a follower of Jesus, are they you know, kind of leaning in or leaning away? And a person of peace is somebody who leans in and says, I, okay, what? You know, you can identify a person of peace in that way. And then, then a person of peace actually then seeks to serve you, even if they're not a Christian. Uh, they, they will be so compelled by kind of what's going on in your life that uh, they'll offer to do something for you. And again, it doesn't have to be a big thing, but there's this, uh, this giving of themselves for you. So that's how you identify a person of peace. And when I, when I first encountered this and kind of grappled with what Jesus laid out here, this was so incredibly freeing for me, because for Crystal and, and me both, because we, uh, really since we got married, we've lived in the house that I bought when I came to Fifth, just over here behind Christian High, and we've been almost entirely focused on our neighbors as our, as our kind of mission field, right? And we, we've, we've done stuff together, uh, you know, the Tecumseh Drive uh, annual summer street picnic thing where we shut the street down and, you know, we're investing, we're inviting people over to our house and we're just getting absolutely nowhere. And so after, it was probably after about six or seven years of that, we were introduced to this and thought, hey, this is a whole new thing. So if we, I think we can interpret this as Jesus saying, if a person is, is a person of peace to you, we can read that as Jesus calling us toward them and the Lord calling them toward us. So we can interpret that as kind of a, kind of a divinely appointed kind of thing. And then in that, our responsibility is to, all this flows right from the text also, right? The harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. Ask Jesus to mobilize more missional disciples because that's what he's talking about here. He's, he's sending out the 72, so he's multiplied now from 12 to 72, and he's sending them out, and the first criteria is pray, Pray that Jesus will send more people out like you. Two, go into the world yourself with the understanding that going into the world means you're, you're on the lookout for people of peace wherever you are. And, and always alert to, is there something going on in this relationship? You know, is this person leaning into me? And it, might this be a person of peace to me? And it, and it, sometimes it doesn't just happen. You know, we develop these also, but as we get these kind of uh, first clues that a person might be emerging as a person of peace, then we invest a little more there relationally and that kind of thing. Um, and it's very freeing because if, if you're starting to engage with someone, it's not that we don't love everybody. We love everyone. This is just a question of where are we called to, to invest our time, you know, uh, that resource which is most scarce, how do we do that? So if, if we're guided by the people of peace strategy, that means you know, we don't brush the dust off our feet in the sense of, hey, I'm never going to have anything to do with everybody else. But we do release ourselves to that kind of degree from feeling a personal sense of responsibility 
that I'm, I'm going to be the person who might help this other person cross the line of faith, right? It, it's just we don't have to do that. We don't have to own that kind of responsibility. So ask Jesus to mobilize more missional disciples, go into the world ourselves. Have you ever considered this? Um, do not take, this is verse 4, do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. So he's sending them away from home. They're not to take any money, any bag to carry stuff, nor even an extra pair of sandals. They're just supposed to go. And um, I understand this now to be that as we go out toward other people, there's great power in moving toward other people with a posture of vulnerability. That if, that if, you, if you don't have all your defenses up, and if you can lead with your own brokenness in conversations with other people around things of faith, rather than you know, like acting like we've got it all together and that kind of thing. But if you can lead with that, that will sort out the people of peace a lot more quickly. Because you, you'll, we'll see who is drawn to that. And we'll see who's drawn to that kind of layer of, uh, kind of authenticity and, and vulnerability. So ask Jesus to mobilize more, more people going out. Go ourselves with eyes for people of peace. Lead with vulnerability. Announce the kingdom with our words is the next thing. Because it, scripture says very clearly, uh, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So again, in, in verse 8 there, when you enter a town and are welcomed, so it's, it's the person of peace bit, like you're welcomed. Eat what is offered you. Okay, there's some service going on there. right? Heal the sick who are there and tell them. So engage in, engage in ministry. Engage people where they're at. So if you've led with vulnerability, they might reciprocate and will say, oh, I'm kind of hurting here. So let's pray healing for, for people. right? And, and let's not just pray healing. Let's say, Hey, let's not forget the kingdom of God has come close to us in Jesus and is close to us right now. And here we go again. Like, does a person step into that or do they kind of step back from that? And then, and then we engage accordingly, right? Um, and then finally, the, uh, at the end of verse 7, that bit about do not, you know, stay there, meaning in this home where you've sensed peace, eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages, do not move around from house to house. I take that to mean if you find some people of peace, keep investing there. You know, don't be spiritually ADD and feel like you have to go here, there, and, and, and all over the place. If, if you're being guided by this sense of, of Christ's peace and someone is serving you and welcoming you and listening to you, continue to invest there. Don't move around and, and stick with that. So... Again, that's, that's, that's kind of the quick unpacking of this. And I've experienced it, uh, like I already said, as, as very freeing, but also very interesting. Because if you actually start to do this, um, and, and you have eye, eye, kind of eyes to see what God might be doing, and you're willing in appropriate kind of settings and, and things to throw something out there on the table with a person or a couple people or a group that's pretty vulnerable, um, there, there's response to that. I mean, and and the, the people of peace kind of begin bubbling up. So, so what does that do for you? Is that new? What, what strikes you in that? 
Yeah, Adrian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can't think of anybody who would fit that criteria. I'm just going to repeat so it gets on the recording. Can't think of anybody who fits that criteria in your life right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that, I hope you don't take that as a discouraging thing. I mean, a little bit. Okay. Um, remember, the first step is uh, to pray that more people will be mobilized and also to pray that God will bring people of peace to us. And, and there's a little bit of that. Um, and and there's, there's something about uh, God bringing people of peace to us and us being people of peace to others, too. And so you can, you can pivot this, and if, if there's somebody uh, in, in your life, where, you know, you're interested in their life spiritually and you like a little more of whatever it is that they have, welcome them listen to them, and seek to serve them in some way. You know, I mean, build a relationship in that. Yeah, any, any other thoughts? Yeah, Erica. Yeah. Or something like that. How do you how do you know if it's if it is a relationship where they're just a really cool kind of kind neighbor or person yeah. or they're a person of peace who's like ready yeah. to hear that. Yeah. And what Josh is going to talk about I think will be really helpful in that because it's a it's a way of sharing faith that that's really natural and emerges out of uh, the lead with vulnerability piece out of the kind of the brokenness. So first thing, this is just off the top of my head, I don't know that we have to have it completely figured out like, okay, person of peace, that person's definitely person of peace, therefore I can share with them. You know, it's not quite like that. But, but I think Josh is going to talk through a model of, of uh, how to share our faith in a way that might be a preliminary kind of way that could bubble up some people of peace, you know? And, it, and it's kind of premised around the brokenness that we share with everybody, you know, just human brokenness. Um, there, there, there's, there's another layer to this that talks about kind of different orbits of people in our lives. So there's kind of um, permanent relationships. I mean, people who are in our life most likely for most of our lives. I mean, that's a bit of a marathon kind of relationship, and, and we, we don't press hard on those. This is, this is uh, my dad, right? I don't, I don't press really hard in that relationship. It's just kind of touch point after touch point. I mean, it's that. Um, where if you're, you know, if you know you're just seeing a person one time and it's just a, I will probably never see this person again in my life, you might apply a different kind of standard. So for neighbors, it might, you might have to kind of gauge it. And, and there, there's, there's, a, there's a bigger strategy for this too because there, there's a lot to be said for scheduling social events that serve as kind of fishing ponds for people of peace. So get, invite the neighbors over for dinner and 
do it a couple, three times and just kind of be on the lookout, be praying. Are there people of peace here? You can kind of test the waters and that. Is that kind of helpful? Okay. Yeah, Josh. I think there's something to be said too. I think, I think broadly along those lines, I think evangelism functions, we often think of it as concrete and specific actions, right? It's this and it's this and it's this. And it is that, but it's also at times a broader orientation, you know? So I think especially if you have the thing on like, are they a person of peace or are they just friendly or are they my neighbor or trying not to be a jerk? Like to some degree being willing and viewing it as an orientation and a direction and then seeing what comes up, um, I think that that can be helpful unless you're like, oh my gosh, that's way too much and it's crippling and I don't know and da, da, da. And then, and then there's other techniques that, that help with that too. But just being open to where the Spirit's leading if we're people who are listening to God's voice and, and doing, when we, doing what he thinks he's telling us, then to some degree you're like, there's a bunch of people here that could be and I don't know. And so let's pray about it and see where it goes and, and respond as, as God presents opportunities. So the, the idea is really practical. What does out look like for Christians? And just imagine a church where every member of the church kind of at least felt equipped to begin praying that God would reveal people of peace in their life. Just that step alone, in my mind, would be huge, right? And then, and then with just a, a, a kind of simple, again, not formulaic, but a simple way to share the gospel... Uh, which Josh will share with us now, I think, unless anybody has parting shots on the person of peace thing. Yeah, yeah Pat. I'm a little confused. Okay, sorry, a little confused. <laughs> okay, no problem. Um, so the person of peace yeah. is the unbeliever you're going for? Or am I, am I are we both? No, this is, this is a great question. Yeah, so in the... Um, so Pat asked if the person of peace is just a, a person who's not yet come to faith in Christ or if there can be... I think there can be people of peace over here who are believers, but there's, it, it's more of a deeper kind of fellowship. Um, the kind of language in the... I mean, everybody here knows that we're kind of using this uh, or partnering with this organization called 3DM, and, and, and the language that they use to distinguish between these is that the person of peace inside the fellowship of believers. I mean, that this would be a relationship of deeper fellowship. And they try to reserve the kind of person of peace uh, lingo for the out. So that, that's a long answer to say, if we go with that model, it would be yes. A person of peace would be an unbelieving person we're feeling drawn to. But the concept applies. It's not like somebody has to be an unbeliever to be a person of peace. You know, I mean, we have, yeah, we have friends and we're people of peace to one another. I mean, that, that kind of thing. Good. Josh, you up? Good. I have handouts too. All right, so, so I'm going to make you talk and do things with one another. So now would be a good time to get yourself around tables and groups. 
Uh, so if you're Chad, you need to pretend you have friends. Um, and so, so why don't you get together in groups of like more than two? More than two, highly specific. So here's what, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to talk about tonight. So part of the idea behind this is John and I wanted to work through both a little bit of the, the structure behind what it means to share your faith as well as some practical, a practical means by which we can do it. The challenge with that is that if you have been around the Christian faith for a while, you have probably heard a variety of these because there are a variety of these. Some I like better than others, um, and there's a di bunch of different ways we can go. But part of what we're trying to do is create something that is simple and straightforward, not create, this is not ours, um, share something that is simple and straightforward that we can apply in all situations as you go. Um, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that, and we're going to work through a simple structure, uh, and I'm going to draw on a board, and I'm going to make you do stuff. Uh, but before that, I want you to do on the handout I gave you the very top section that says Scripture, and it says John 3, 1 through 7, the top part before it gets to the power of simplicity, right? So I want you around your table to read that Scripture and to answer those three questions, and I'm going to give you about five to seven minutes. Okay? Ready, set, go. Figure out your readers. Okay. So here's, here's what I want to do. <clears throat> I included that scripture in part because I wanted something that it's, it's just one of the clear or clearer examples of Jesus sharing uh, a means of explaining what faith is. Now, Jesus does it in a very Jesus-y way and gets a little confusing, and Nicodemus probably goes home confused and with a little bit of a headache, um, but still it's, it's an example of what it looks like. The challenge that we often face in regards to simplicity or in regards to evangelism or structure is, is really kind of what I laid out in the beginning. At least this is my theory and my thinking about it, um, is that we come from a theologically rich tradition, right? The Reformed folks are nuanced. We've got a couple hundred years of thinking. We value ourselves as deep thinkers, right? It's what we do. It's what we do well. At our best, we're often a little intellectually nerdy. Um, and the challenge is, is that that makes the notion of trying to share a complex thought, right, is something that we struggle to do because we, get it, have, we struggle to get it down to a lowest common denominator. Or if we do, it feels like we're misapplying it or using it inappropriately or things along that line. So the goal of tonight and the goal of what we're trying to do uh, with, with John and I was really two things. One, understand the means of the people that are around us with whom we could share the gospel, because that's a pretty real thing of just a vague sense of feeling of guilt. And you can see it if you've ever walked alongside a new Christian. They're like, so I'm supposed to share my faith, but who do I do it with? Do I do it with everyone I see at the mall and on the sidewalk? Do I do it with my neighbors? And like, is it the first thing I say or the fifth thing that I say? Um, so we wanted to give both a broad orientation to help us just think and engage about what, what it means to share our faith um, and a simple tool that helps us do that. This is far from the only one, um, but it's one that we both like, um, and it's simple and straightforward and helpful, right? So broadly, it's called the three Bs. When we have done this before, 
And when we do the skill time, I often have people read these so that way we can get it, but we're not gonna do that tonight. And instead, I wanna walk us through it a bit. Um, I wrote it out so you can take it home if you want, um, but I wanna briefly describe what this is. And then we're gonna have a time of thinking about it, and then we're gonna do some role playing where we practice, right? Because that's part of, the, part of the goal of this, is that we learn and practice and do some skills. And the way you learn a skill is you have some knowledge, some experience, and a little bit of coaching. So we're gonna share it with someone, uh, we're gonna practice it, and then we're gonna give some feedback on what feels right. This is not broadly, there's lots of, again, this is where our rich theological and, and history can sometimes get in the way. This is not necessarily a full testimony. Right? A testimony is when you share normally to some degree of depth, but you can also do it quickly. You share what God has done in your life and what this means and where this goes. That can have part of an element to it, and I think when we do it well, it does have a personal element because the gospel is personal. The gospel is not, <clears throat> while it is a theological truth, its real power and weight is how it impacts an individual person and an individual soul, right? Versus just an abstract notion of the gospel for the world is less compelling than the gospel for John or Kristen or Julie or Adrian, right? Or Josh. So the gospel is personal. So there's a personal element, but it's not necessarily a testimony in what that often looks like. But it's a simple way to understand uh, a means by which we can share what it looks like. And the, the basic approach... Uh, because we like circles and triangle-like things, and uh, people who can't write inside of circles, because I didn't make it big enough, um, is, is, is basically this. Uh, so it's called the three Bs, and the Bs are brokenness, beauty, and birth. Um, and so if you find someone, or you feel someone, or you have an orientation where you go like, man, I feel like, I feel like God is nudging me that maybe I should say something here, what do I say? This is a simple way to do it, to explain it in a way that's accessible. So it starts off really, so it really starts, so it goes birth, brokenness, and beauty. But we start in the middle because this is the reality in which we find most of ourselves. Our lived experience day in, day out is one that is often marked. It's marked by all three of those, certainly, but it's one that if we talked about and we wanted to say, hey, you know, at the end of the day, at the core, we know that our world is not the way it's supposed to be. You know, I don't have to look that far. I only have to look in the mirror to find out that I'm not the way that I feel like I'm supposed to be. And I see it in my family, and I see it in our structure, and I see it in our city and our society, and that we live in a world that, at the end of the day, is, is marked by this profound sense of brokenness, that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. But it wasn't always like this, right? Um, when, we, when the world was first made, when things were first first created, uh, as a Christian and as a believer, the scriptures tell us that, that the world was made good and it was made right and true and honest and whole and there was flourishing in life and everything that went with that. But then we as a race and as a people made mistakes and messed that up and introduced, uh, introduced what we call sin into the world. Sin gets a bad rap to some degree in our society. It's all over, it's pervasive, it's often accusatory and it is all of those, but it's also just an existence and acknowledgement that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. The word shows up often in an archery term, which means to miss the mark, right? It means that things are off course and not the way they're supposed to be. And that's the reality that most of us find ourselves, that I find myself in today. Out of that, though, the good news is that even though while we started at a place of goodness that gets corrupted and broken because of sin, um, there is also an access and a calling to a sense of, of beauty that we find in Jesus Christ. 
And what that means is that this is the kind of thing that you hear when people say, and they say verses like John 3.16 and believe in Jesus. But that word actually sometimes can get in the way of what it means because we believe in Jesus and we believe in the tooth fairy, and those are obviously two different things. When we talk about belief in Jesus, we're talking at the end of the day about trust. It's more about identity and where you place your anxiety and do you hold it within yourself or within what you've done or what you're able to do or do you hold it in and put it onto a God that affirms you and loves you and accepts you as who you are. And so, and what we find with that is that what through this sense of beauty, we actually go back, if I can draw an arrow, and we end up being reborn is what it looks like. And this sounds weird. I know that. I totally get that. Or it sounds like something, again, that gets thrown out or gets made fun of on movies or TV shows. But if you talk with people who have been believers, often you hear this story, right? They start of a place of realizing they're broken, real, also being aware that this isn't always the way it was supposed to be, encountering a God and putting their trust and hope in this God who came to die for you and me. And they experience this reality of being reborn. For me, this actually, this, this is a really weird thing, and it happened, and I can't deny it, and I feel like I should have better words to describe it than what I do, but there was a moment when I was 17, um, and I felt there was probably some sense of God, but I didn't really know what that meant, uh, more than like, I get to go to heaven, I guess, um, and then I was dating a girl, and we fought all the time, and there was just always tension. And we got to the stage in our relationship, or the stage in a conversation one night, where we got to the point where you fight. If you've ever been in a relationship where you know you argue and fight, you get to that point, you look and you're like, yep, here we go, this is where it is. And instead of that same sense of anxiety or frustration, there was just this sense of peace. And I thought that was really weird. Uh, and so we left and said goodbye, and I put my key, opened up my Ford, my bright red Ford Tempo, put my key in the car, and before I did anything, I prayed and I said, God, I don't know what that is and I don't know who you are really, but, but that's what I need because I feel broken and this is not the way I want to be. And then there was, for me, this weird moment where it felt like everything kind of changed and it felt like I experienced God in a new way and I felt reborn and remade into something else that has radically changed the trajectory of my life. It's not everybody's experience, but it's certainly mine. And I think even if you grew up in the church and have the long place of faithfulness, you can see those moments of small rebirth that happen again and again. So that's a brief rundown and a brief demonstration of what it looks like, right? So the idea is not, this is, you can see it's not overly complex. It's personal to me, right? So I told the story that had to deal with me. If need be, I could pull a couple of scriptures out that also have to deal with that and what it means, again, personal to me. But but the big thing is just understanding that there's three basic Bs, that, that there's, there, we begin with a place of brokenness. That's not the way it always was meant to be. And we were born into something else. We get remade, uh, we get remade into, no, I have this right. I'm suddenly looking at this going, John, do I have the order wrong? No, I have it right. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep, but nope, those should be switched, right? I don't know, nope. It's a circle, right? So that's, I don't know why I suddenly had a brain fart, but I suddenly did. Um, 
I am broken. It's okay. The, the rhythm is the same, though, right? So we start at a place of brokenness. It wasn't always supposed to be that way. We're invited back through beauty, back into rebirth. Um, and so here's, <laughs> for, forgive me. It's been a long week. Um, for, forgive me for that. So here's what I want to do to end our time. Um, I want us to, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. And if you turn to the third page of this, right, there's the coaching practice section. So... <clears throat> I'm going to give you, I want to give you three minutes, two to three minutes, uh, to do that first section of come up with a basic outline. If you have a pen and want to write it down, you can. If you want to just think through it in your head, you can. Um, and just think through what that could be. And then we're going to pair you up um, with people. And then we're going to have you actually try to share and explain this. Um, and then we're going to give feedback about what went well and what didn't went, go so well, right? The idea is that we're practicing what this looks like so that it's something that when the opportunity arises, you can share it without it feeling awkward or incredibly forced. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, I got one mm -hmm, from Jim, so I'm gonna take that as a yes. Uh, or was it Greg? It was Greg, all right, there we go. I'll take Greg too. I like you both. So let's do that. So we're gonna take two minutes and think about or, or structure one and two. Think about this brief outline and what that looks like, and think about a place uh, in your life where you've experienced beauty out of brokenness um, through being reborn in Jesus. Okay? Go team. All right, so here's what I'd like you to do. I would like you to pair up with someone else if you are at a table and you are married to that person, pick someone you are not married to. So you have to talk to someone else. Um, and, and I did put the order down wrong. So it's the same story. I just wrote it down in the wrong order in the circle, right? It's brokenness. The world was made beautiful. And then th we are reborn and invited back into that beauty, which makes more sense than how I wrote it down. Um, so forgive me for that. I don't know why I did that. Um, but I want you to get together in pairs, and I want you to go, and I want one person to try to explain this to the other person, and then I want you to take a brief moment and give feedback or constructive criticism, and then we're going to rinse and repeat, and then we'll end trade roles, okay? If you're Julie Wiltskit, you get to do it twice. So I hope this is helpful and useful, right? As Greg and I discussed, you can put the bees either way. It works both ways. Um, and it, because at the end of the day, it's, it's still a circle. And if we think about broadly about what it means as you've grown as a follower of Jesus over the years, like it's not as if we suddenly are born back into beauty and everything's good and we roll and we're like, da-da-da-da-da, I have arrived. It's like, of course not. Instead, we have cycles of brokenness that emerge, that come back up. Or we, we, quell, we, we wade through some matters and we think, oh, I've got this sorted. And then we find deeper levels of sin and brokenness. Or at least that, that's been my journey over the years is things where I'm like, oh, I've got this down. And then I realize like, oh, I struggle with pride. Uh, and I just thought I was way better than what I am. And then we dig into that route or however that goes, right? At the end of the day, the, the notion that there's beauty, brokenness, and rebirth is something that continues to be part of the Christian tradition. And whether this is the means you want to use or not, 
uh, doesn't really matter because the point is to have the tool when you need the tool and to not suddenly go like, oh my gosh, what do I say now? This is a means that is effective and straightforward and for the most part, fairly simple. So I hope it was helpful um, as we talked about all of this and it's 7.30 and so I wanna pray and we're gonna be, we're gonna be done. Sound good to everybody? Heavenly Father, I thank you for these friends that show up on a Sunday evening. Um, I pray for them, and I pray for me, and I pray for us as we are ambassadors of your kingdom to our neighborhoods and networks. May we be evangelistic to the people of peace around us. May we have a sense of passion and, and a willingness to be bold in ways that is discouraged for us as Americans and share an honest truth that we have that has been impacted by the grace and trust we have in you. God, teach us to be evangelistic, not uh, as a weapon or not as a tool to get what we want, but because there are people who need to hear your good news. May we share it with those around us and may we have the passion and the desire and the willingness to follow in the places that you present before us. Give us grace and peace this day. Keep us healthy. Be with our city. Be with our families. And help us to live the life that you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a good evening.